Welcome to another Rules of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Patno, CEO and President of Women in Housing Real Estate Ecosystem, NAWRB, and Desiree Patno Enterprises, Inc., Real Estate Brokerage, Advisor Investor for Amicus Brain Innovations, Inc., and Strategic Officer for Zulu Time, and Publisher of NAWRB Magazine and the Wear Report. Today, I am so honored to have as our guest, Jasper James, Chief Creative Officer and Co-Founder of Activism Articulated and the author of Black Bill of Rights, hence Know the Rules of the Game for Black Bill of Rights. Welcome, Jasper. Thank you for having me. Yes, very honored to have you. Thank you. So I want to get a little personal before we get into your bio. Tell me a fun fact. She's like, yeah, okay, great. Spring it on me right now. Uh, a fun fact. Well, I think uh, I opened for Debbie Harry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you play 10 musical instruments. That's crazy. That's like, name all 10. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, every saxophone. So that's soprano, alto, tenor, barry. Uh, then I also play drums. Okay. I play guitar. I play bass. I kind of quasi do clarinet, flute, and then I sing. And well, the percussion takes up a lot of different stuff. So I play drums, actual drums, but then I also play percussion hand instruments. So how cool is that? Well, my father used to play sax and I used to play the cello. So we kind of got in there. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. That's exciting. Okay. So let's get into her bio. It's really cool. Jasper's worked for nearly 15 years as a community activist, artist, and facilitator. They co-founded two active Facebook groups back in 2015, one for Allies of Black Lives Matter, which holds over 15,000 members and has dedicated discussion and education centered on racial justice. Additionally, they have pioneered a project focused on social justice and spirituality. As a co-founder of Activism Articulate, a crisis and PR firm located in Sacramento, yes, the state of California, they are one of the only advocacy communications firms run by queer mixed race women of color and provide media training and crisis counseling for organizations nationwide. Very cool. From their past as a billboard recording artist and event producer to her most recent status as a reg, as a reg organizer director for the 2020 Mike Bloomberg campaign that won up in a heap. I mean, that was stress. Could imagine. Uh, like overnight, hey, we're doing this. We're gonna give you 150 billion dollars or a million dollars a month on the advertising. I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. Anyway, a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, Jasper is a digital campaign rapid response strategist with strong public relations and project management skills. During their tenure as president of the Women's March Sacramento chapter, Mix James also co-founded Women's March Blanc and all black branch of Women's March National Leadership. Welcome, welcome, Mappa. This is so incredible. And I know you had a little bit less on this. Oh, here you go. She's also an active member of the ACLU uh, Sacramento Chapter Board, the Sacramento Stonewall Democratic Club PAC, and the ACL Speakers Bureau, and the newly formed AB 392 Oversight Committee, which is passed in 2019, and is active in 2020. So talk to me about a little about before we go into setting the stage of what the AB 392 is. So uh, that was a bill that was introduced by Shirley Weber um, and also Kevin McCarty was also um, 
pretty uh, significant supporter of that bill as well. And that was basically put together after Stefan Clark was shot here in Sacramento by SACPD. And it's essentially, it's a use of force bill. Uh, and so they, it's basically setting the foundation of what has to be reasonable, you know, yeah. because the definition is in the reasonable. Yeah. Uh, Very white base. Exactly. Right. So, um, so yeah, so that was um, passed and then it went into effect in 2020. And now just like everything that we have to do with Sacramento police, unfortunately, we always have to do something that deals with oversight. Because if we don't do oversight, then they just, it's, it's like the Wild West over here, pretty much. You know, I think that's a lot of different industries, a lot of different um, communities. It's, it's, it's accountability. If you don't have accountability, you can have the biggest money thrown at a project. And yet, if the follow through is not there, it means nothing. It's just like thrown in the wind. It's like, why waste the time, money, and energy if you're not going to do anything on it? You're not going to act on it, right? And change for the better good. All right, so let's go ahead and set the stage. So earlier this year in 2020, NRB came in with the NRB Diversity Inclusion Leadership Council, and we curated out of these incredible ladies that are senior executive women um, in all different industries, and we came up with the 10 Women Leadership Principles to help women in the real estate and housing ecosystem become more effective leaders and empower other women to reach their full potential. And I really was inspired when uh, Erica Courtney sits on our NDLC, introduced me to Darcy, then she introduced me to you. Um, and the power of our conversations just out of the blues went to where you have to meet Jasper. And here we are from last week to this week. We're like moving it, right? Uh, we've got to get it down. So time. No, we don't waste any time. <laughs> time is now. It could not have happened at a more opportune time to have the audience of the United States and the globe listening to what we're talking about and how we're talking it. And as my youngest son would say of the four, he goes, Mom, it doesn't matter what you say if they don't do something on it. They don't act on it. It's exactly. it you've got to have it from as simple as a podcast to a conference. You know, speaking around the country every week, I'd get on a plane every week and go talk and, and let them know about the leverage of resources. And this is what this is so powerful. So let's set the stage. The Black Bill of Rights was your version two years ago. And how did it become and why? Well, uh, so as I mentioned, you know, um, Stefan Clark uh, was a unarmed, innocent Black man who was shot in his grandparents' backyard while he was trying to go home. Uh, and that, that experience, I mean, it, this is what I want, I, you know, I always tell allies to understand is that, you know, every time we see a black person getting shot, that's like our cousin, you know, that's like our father or our uncle. And it, and it's, it never changes like that, that feeling that you feel when you turn on your TV and you see another police officer killing an unarmed black person. I can't even describe that feeling because you know, I know that they're gonna go free. <laughs> For the most part, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time they're gonna go free. Uh, so when, so uh, our, our business, um, we started off as a regular PR communications firm. We were kind of full service boutique. You know, we did everything from like press releases, your basic stuff, red carpets right. and stuff like that. Um, but then when the no dapple, happened where uh, Standing Rock, we ended up uh, working on that campaign and we worked with the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. 
And then from there, it was kind of like our, um, our niche market shifted. So we shifted from being full service to pretty much doing crisis management full time. Um, And then that's how we ended up being on the front lines for Stefan Clark. So we were there in a professional capacity. So in that space, I mean, I've never experienced anything like this before because I was in the space as, as a professional and I'm a, you know, a queer person of color, but my voice was not in that room because of the fact that I was there in a professional capacity. Right. Right. So it was, it was, um, it was a very, I mean, it was a trying time because I had never been so uh, up close to something that was so visceral and so tragic and awful. Yeah. Um, and then also having to deal with it as a person of color. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I went through the process, stayed professional, <laughs> did everything that we had to do. And then, you know, it was the, our time was over. We do what we had to do. But then it left with, I was left with this huge impact in my life um, because I really started to understand uh, what was happening. You know, this is, it, you know, it wasn't just about, well, you know, why don't we just go after the cops? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, why don't we? And then it just like sparked this two year obsession of really getting down to the bottom of why killer cops go free. Like, I was a dog with a bone. I couldn't, no one could stop me. Right. And so um, my wheelhouse for what I do for my business is large viral worthy campaigns, right? Love it. So I started to build the premise of what is, what do I have to do right now? What do I have to understand to be able to, to get the mass to understand what's happening here because it wasn't just cut and dry like everyone was trying to tell us it was i was like it can't be it can't be this cut and dry where right like yeah like we see people getting shot on video and then all of a sudden we get the same thing after a certain period of time you see the da stand up and say well we're not gonna press charges and i'm just like why do we even go through this process in the first place they had to have known they weren't going to press charges from the very beginning and so that's essentially like what i found out and so the two years marked me going, you know, researching everything from uh, Black history, you know, going back into the Constitution, understanding what our protections and rights should be compared to what they were. And then there were like a lot of things that kind of unraveled as that happened because I started to see that what we've come to understand as history is so off the mark. Right. And it's it's off the mark because the winners write history. Right. So they put up their statues, they put in whatever they want to put in, in the, in the textbooks. Yeah. Um, They, they create the messaging and then they do whatever they can to basically erase what happened. And so that's what I started to uncover. I said, you know, personally myself, like I'm not saying that no one else uncovered these things, right. but it was a, it was really a kind of a methodical thing. Cause that's, that's the other fact that I'm a scientist by nature. So I, I just research stuff and I'm, I'm always trying to just figure out what it is. Right. So 
that's what kind of led me to understanding that I wanted to, that it was important to do a Black Bill of Rights because Bill of Rights exist. They're, it's nothing new. I mean, we have Consumer Bill of Rights. We even have a Victim's Bill of Rights. You know, so in the case, you know, listeners don't know, Bill of Rights actually create a protection within a protection. Perfect. And so, and so once I started to understand the, what, what actually turned into be understanding a diabolical, mm-hmm. like undermining of the rights that Black people and protections that we had under the law on paper were being undermined in every generation. So... You know, like slavery was abolished, but because Lincoln was assassinated, it fell apart. So within the year of slavery being abolished, it was essentially reinstated, except in a different way, based on other laws that were put into effect after he was assassinated. And it's basically been like that ever since. So from the 1700s, that's what I know of. Like, I only went back that far. So from the 1700s. Before Christ, you know. What your projection is so powerful because you're connecting the dots. You're, you're analytically curating and putting the information down so it's non- and I don't want to sell it short, but you're actually seeing why it's connected with and leaving the emotion checked for a while so you can read the statistics, you can understand what happened as a chain of events and say, no matter what, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so powerful with having a, a Black Bill of Rights or any research that you can quantitatively say this is why we're having an issue and not isolated particularly because once you talk about an event, you emotionally get charged. Well, you know, it could have been, it should have been, and this is a different, and, and you, you become, you, you lose the audience when you can't segregate the, the connection of this is a pattern. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about what you did. You talked about uh, previously on our pre-call do the podcast that you, you know, you curated, you know, hundreds, 200, I believe was the number of families that you went through and analyzed it. And that's what makes this so unique and so powerful is because you have the, the research to go with it. It's not just, Hey, you know, it's four or five. And it kind of just, you know, went with the flow, what happened this week or this month or this year, you've been doing this way before we got into the environment we have. Yeah, and I mean, the thing was, too, is that I'm, I'm very fortunate to have access to a lot of professionals um, because of the different board seats that I'm on and just, you know, the, the work that I have and the standing that my, my, my partner and my wife have within our community. So I was, I had the ability to tap a lot of people to, to help me kind of, you know, make sense of it because I understood it was so big. And originally, like, how it started was that there were three things that I wanted to achieve. And that was basically like the framework that I kind of like, okay, well, we need somewhere to start. So the first place was what I received from the families, which was when I asked them the question of, of, you know, how did it affect them? Like, how are they still affected now? And Uh the conversation always came back to one thing. And it was the conversation about not feeling safe. And the fact that, our white peers 
not only do they not only do they have a safety that we've never known as people of color, specifically black people, but they take advantage of and enjoy like just kind of like, yeah, well, we have protections, right? Right. So that was really what what was another jump off point for me was because I was like, okay, so people always you always hear people say we have two two systems of government, right? But it really is true. Uh-huh. And that's that's what this whole process had me understand where we have allowed two systems to occur. Because if you see, when you understand like history and the premise of what these the constitution was written under, the premise of it, the premise of the Bill of Rights, you know, the original, the premise was that black people were never supposed to be free. And so that the protections that were supposed that were in place or put into place by the founding fathers was only supposed to be between two people, the ruling class, white men, and the you know, the, the white working class or people who owned land. So, you know, it made sense that if someone was in the highest rung of our government and decided that they wanted to go, you know, sideways and become a traitor or treasonous, that it was going to be a lot easier for that to happen, right? Because you had white men approaching other white men and saying, okay, you're not doing this right, Right. fix it, right? Or we're just going to overthrow you. And, And that was what I started to really understand was that because Black people were not seen as human, and what that really means, because people say it you know, we, we've just become accustomed to saying it like, oh, black people are considered to be three-fifths of a person. Well, do you really understand what that means? Because it, it means a lot more than what you think it means. Right. And the, the shady part of it was the only reason why we got that three-fifths was not for us. It was for the ruling class. Because the slave owners had so many slaves, they needed a way to be able to make their slaves count. So we didn't even get we didn't even get rights based on the fact that we were human oh, yeah. beings. We got rights because they made us think that because they had so many slaves in their possession that they should be able to count somehow. That's wow. why we got right. That's why we got rights as a as people, right? So when you never start learn to, that in school, I it's it, that's the thing, that that was really the key was just like all of these conversations are missing context. They're missing the they're missing the the nuances of the his of the history itself. So like when you read a history book, it's facts and figures, dates and times, right. and who right. was involved and what happened, but it doesn't provide the overall context of what was in place at that moment in history. And the that's what, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, it's just this happened. And then this happened, but it's like, no, well, this happened, but then all of this happened at the same time. Like you don't hear people say, really say with conviction that slavery was basically reinstated the same year that it was abolished. Like people don't usually say that, but it's true. I can, if you were to look at something that was, you look at the Me Too movement on the fact is, is that how has it really changed? And we look at the Black Lives Matter or the social um, um, uh, racism that's going on, or you've got to look at, say, did it really make a difference just from 
the women's point of view or uh, women of color that we've actually moved anywhere in 20 years. So we've got to do it right this time for the black community to make sure, and not only for the black community, but for life in itself, that we all are better. There's, I mean, it, one of the most prime examples right now, if you think about, look at Hidden Treasures. Here's Katherine Johnson. There would be people that w the space program would not be where it is today if mm -hmm. she didn't say, I'm better than a computer. I'm better than any human being. Mm -hmm. And if she didn't put herself out to not have access to a simple thing as a bathroom, have access to, you know, I got fired, I got misplaced, I got thrown out. And oh, by the way, I need you to save them coming back into re-entry and you got two minutes to figure it out. Are you kidding? I mean, obviously exaggeration, mm -hmm. but history would not be where it's today. And in addition to our advancements, considering how incredible you look at our sports, you look at our musicians, you look at the caliber of so many different things if we don't, and what you've had to go through to get there based on just being, um, oh yeah, it's here. You know, the, all the other economic things yeah. that go with this. So that's what I love about this piece is that I, whether you love it or not, our listeners and the people, the more we show them the path, the better it's gonna be. Yeah, I agree. And, and and so I think that that's, you know, um, like I said, just to circle back, the the premise of the Black Bill of Rights started off as something, you know, mm -hmm. um, which was connected to, like I said, so safety, right? Because right. all of the families, they really, that was the thing that stayed with them was like, once you see, once you see that the people that are supposed to be protecting you will kill your loved one, and then they don't, there's no repercussions. And then on top of it, your community continues to pay for those people to have their pensions, to, to basically get a paid up vacation. You know, all they're really doing is just sitting on the sidelines and waiting until they know the obvious, which is that they're going to go free. They might not be able to get back out on the streets in their neighborhood, but they're going to be able to get a job someplace else and they're still going to get their pensions. You know, so I think the the families, the families played a huge role in me striving and, and pushing and continuing to really like understand what the Black Bill of Rights could be. Because it, it once you get, once you feel that, once you understand that it's just like, you really can't trust anyone. And it's, and it's on such a public level, you know? So not only did you lose your loved one, but now the media is spinning the messaging that right. they smoked a little weed or, you know, they, they beat, they hit somebody 15 years ago, you know, and right. so like, yeah. on top of everything else, then your loved ones getting trashed on top of it. And so that was really the first thing that I said, okay, how do we, how do we keep black people safe? Get the going. So, and you, and you have highlight three and you have between your legislative memos, you know, a series of memos, ready ideas to be presented as individual bills to be made into laws. You know, you talk about those three different things. And I think that, I think that one of the most powerful things you've said so far and, and the explanation of it is, is that you were able to get these, these families to open up about their inner thoughts. Here you came in and said, I need you to tell me everything that's going to help create the narrative to, um, 
can't change what happened at the moment, but give me time to help curate this information, bring this information so we can have a seat at the table to hopefully make it better as your children grow up, as, as, uh, as your relatives grow. And as a society, we can embrace change and say, we did this, you know, that they, it wasn't just got, done and forgotten, right? Um, we've seen that in the entertainment industry. We've seen that in, you know, things are going back that, you, you know, the statute of limitations is three years, five years, 10 years for certain things. And we're seeing people go back 30, 40, 50 years now. And you're just like, mm -hmm. you said something, you did something 30 years ago, and now it's in the news, mm -hmm. right? And it's happening so fast. So mm -hmm. you have the attention. So if you could talk about a little bit of that um, as far as your, your different three proposals before we get in a real one. I think it'd be really, uh, it could really uh, elevate that continuing conversation. So, uh, so you, so you want to talk about the three pieces, right? Is that? I, I think, I think it's your, it's your gig. I think that the, <laughs> you have it so well laid out. I mean, you talk about the, the BBNR legislative memos, the proposal to what is about the, to go through the articles, and then we can jump right into rule one. I think that would be exceptionally powerful. All right, so the, the legislation and the memo uh, aspect of all of this was really what I understood to, to be necessary to keep Black communities safe. And so I, I took it from the 2019 California report uh, of the, you know, recommendations of what needs to happen, right? right. I, that's kind of like, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to use this on top of it. So I was already still kind of, I was still working. I was, I did a lot of interviewing, but it was very organic. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, okay, we're going to sit down. I'm going to take these notes. It was really right. more about the fact that I was just like, this is what I'm working with. This is what I want to achieve. And so, you know, I didn't do this alone by any means. There were, there were so many people who believed in the, in the idea and the premise of it. So they helped me to kind of formulate what that could potentially look like. So right. with the, the memos uh, and the legislation, that was directly connected to the articles, right? Mm -hmm. So the articles are important because for me, the articles are, are the key to disrupting. So for instance, if a family goes through the, the awful things that, you know, George Floyd's family just went through, the, the whole premise would be to get this to them. And it does a couple of things. Now, I don't like to call it a sweet spot, but there is. There's a sweet spot that you have in a media cycle, which typically runs from 24 hours to 72 hours. Right. And in that 72 hour span, that family could essentially ask for anything mm. and they never do. Mm. Right. And right. so I understand why they don't, they don't because they're devastated. I mean, just think about it. People have a hard time when, when they lose loved ones, period. Right. You know, especially when it's like something that, you know, it's not grandma who's been sick for 10 years and finally she's ready to go. It's not, you know, right. and even that's hard, yeah. you know, but this is, this is a whole other like realm of trauma that these families are experiencing. And so um, you're looking at it from the perspective of if we could get this to these families within that 72 hour span, this could be their ask. And so that's very important. Yeah, I because, guess. because then in that ask, 
they're also going to get the information that comes with the articles, which is where it's been done, mm -hmm. the legislation that has been passed in other states. Mm -hmm. so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. But they're mm -hmm. also going to understand the premise of why cops go free. And I think that that's really the piece that's been missing with the families is that there's so much grief and there's so much trauma that they can't even think about that. You know, right. they're, oh. and, and that, that information is not readily available, folks. <laughs> they're, they're, they are not trying to display or amplify what's going on behind closed yeah. doors uh, with your local politicians and police unions. They're not trying to highlight any of that. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a reason why when they do those things, the community doesn't know about it, right? So that's really the important part of that. And then there was a third and final piece, which was I actually studied all the different types of police bills of rights out there, the law, law enforcement officers bill of rights, right? But we call it POBAR for short, police officers bill of rights. So the police officers bill of rights uh, has, a, has a series of leniencies interwoven into it now it's an administrative document okay there yeah it's i mean basically it's the it's the conversation of if you if you did something wrong you need to be disciplined these are the these are the things that have to be taken care of this is protocol so it's it's a protocol document um but the interesting things about the police officers bill of rights is that there are leniencies injected into that administrative document that don't have to be mm. they're put in there right right because they are essentially making sure that uh, there is a group of people that are getting protections that are above the law so the police bill of rights is not constitutional there's only 15 states within our entire nation that has a police bill of rights but that's because of the fact that usually it's not needed because of the police union contracts. So whatever's the, you know, the police bill of rights is essentially like a three or four page document that okay. just outlines stuff for protocol, right? But it's the police union contracts where it gets the nitty gritty. You start to really, they start to get into it. So the police bill of rights and the, and the union contracts work together. And then it's usually within the police union contracts where you see stipulations like you, you can't have a uh, oversight committee. Like it's in the union contract. No and, accountability. Sorry. Yeah, the, really. Yeah, you can't have that. Um, or if you do have, if, if you are able to have a committee, uh, oversight committee, they have no power. Um, other things like um, usually that's where the qualified immunity language comes in. Right. So, and qualified immunity has really been in the news a lot lately, which I'm, I'm happy about. I was really mad that they were just like, we're not going to overturn it because that's really, that's the premise. It's yeah. these particular documents. There are other things that happen too that are shady, but are these documents that are essentially set it up for any police officer who's done anything wrong can get away with can get away with it, including the murder of innocent lives. That's part of the reason why they couldn't bring in Breonna Taylor, her, her killers, because qualified immunity essentially states that if someone is doing their job, they can't get penalized for it, no matter what happens. 
So the reason why they didn't bring in those cops is because technically, I can pretty much guarantee, now don't quote me, but I can pretty much guarantee that the reason why they didn't bring them in was because they have qualified immunity in their policing and contract. So there was no reason to pull them in because they didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Based on, they you know, you're all right, the rules yeah, written by them for them. They technically didn't do anything wrong. The problem with this is that your political leaders, right, the people who renegotiate right. these contracts, are essentially giving up their citizens. Like, that's what's happening. They're, they're basically saying, okay, well, we're going to just say that you're not going to kill any of our citizens. Right? So we're going to let it slide within our contracts mm -hmm. that, you know, if something does happen, you know, there'll be a slap on the wrist, like your guys will be good. And then that's where the campaign financing conversation comes in because the police union contracts give a ton of money to people. It's a huge conflict of interest. And so these are the things that like, if I could, if I could reach every single family that's ever lost a loved one in that 72 hours, these are the things that they need to know. They need to know them. They need to understand how the sausage, you works. know, for yeah. all sorts of purposes, yeah. how it works. You're giving them the cookbook exactly. to, and the guidelines to understand this is what they're thinking you're thinking. This is what you can and cannot do. And this is where it's going. So in, in the you're Every moment that this happened from the time it happened is critical. So you need to spend da 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 da. It's like you said, you know, you can't have a lead go cold. You have to have it on point, get it going. And I'm so, as I'm hearing you talk about the different things and, and the accessibility and understanding, it's so critical, especially in today's market, that utilizing that prime time of 72 hours, like you said, that you can ask for anything and not know that you can ask for anything. Um, I know that Beyonce just uh, a couple days ago asked for, um, you know, why hasn't anything been done about Breonna Taylor here? She's a woman, a black woman, you know, is laying in her bed and mm -hmm. went to the wrong house. Oh, woe is me. Nope. Oh, well. <laughs> it's, it's nothing else. Just yeah. them coming out and publicly apologizing and say, you know, we're sorry. Not that that cures anything, but at least that's an effort. You know, there's been no effort, even even to apply it. So, you know, at some point, um, and I love what you're talking about, how the police bill of rights, calling the LEOBR, the law enforcement officers bill of rights, how you're talking about having a, a checklist, a toolbox, a, a navigational guidebook, we'll call it based on it, saying, I understand the grieving and everything else. And so maybe not the actual spouse or, or mother or daughter or, or direct heir or direct family member, but someone else who can take the time to read it. So to be that, you know, uh, guiding light to help instigate it, I think it's huge. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for that, for, for setting that framework. So if we go into, you know, the purpose of the, you know, the rules of the game is really to bring the three rules on how can we help um, you know, the, um, the availability of the information that providing because no longer, that was the whole premise for Know the Rules of Game being trademarked last year, is if you know the rules of game, you can play the game, no matter what. And you're giving the rule book so they can play the game and not that we're 
we're, we're minimizing the conversation, but we're saying, we understand, but you need to know now in case you're put in this position that you, you, you have that available to you, right? And hopefully you never, and our goal is to never, to have it to where it becomes less and less and we become, right? Mm -hmm. so love, love, love. So let's get down to rule number one. You say it's educate yourself, lead all families who have lost innocent loved ones by the hands of police to the documents. Define that. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the premise of, of educating yourself is to understand, again, you know, there's, there's the way that the sausage is made and then there's the way that the sausage presents itself, right? Because you don't know what goes into making the sausage. You don't really, <laughs> really know. But, you know, you see the sausage in a nice package. Right. And it looks great. And you can't wait to get it on the barbecue. It's the, you know, it's like that is what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the nitty gritty right. of what these contracts mean. And it's so important for these families to understand that this is not, you know, when, when they're going into this whole process of like, filing, you know, a complaint, uh, you know, starting the, the procedure to go to trial, go to court, preliminaries, like all of this stuff that's happening. Uh -huh. Usually the families, based on what I can tell, it doesn't right. seem like this. I've, I've spoken to them. I've, I've spoken to enough, I feel, to, to say this with confidence, but, you know, right. I, always, I could be wrong. I, I always preface it. Um, that they don't really, they didn't really have any idea about um, what was happening in these contracts because no one talked about it, right. right? So they just have a lawyer that comes in and tells them what to do and what steps they need to take. And remember, you know, you, we, know we know the MO, right? These families are often, they're, they're poverty stricken, right? Right. Um, so when you find someone who's basically going to be like, Hey, you know what, you'll probably make a million dollars off of this thing. You know, you're going to be inclined to listen to that person and just follow their lead. And I totally get that. I do. Um, but the, the disconnect there is that the people who are also telling them that they should just follow their lead are not explaining to them that the, probably the reason why those cops are going to go free is because of whatever is in these contracts. So these conversations are not being had from the lawyers who are taking up their cases right. to then you have like a mayor of a town or, or you know, of a city who says, well, you know, we're gonna do whatever we can to seek justice, but they already sold you out when they signed the contract. So whatever is in that contract and, and God forbid you try to find it, like pretty much it's not, it's, it's supposed to be a matter of public record, but it's very difficult to find. It's very, you know, you have to, you have to basically request to see uh, what's in those documents. And so you're, so the families are going through this process like that. So that's why the education is so key because you have got to understand a couple of things. One, does your local politician take contributions from the police union? Mm, right. Because if they do, that means that there's a huge conflict of interest. And it's probably giving you the understanding that they've allowed something to go to exist in these contracts that shouldn't be there. 
And that's, that's really the, the biggest thing that I want families to understand and black people to understand, everybody to understand right now that when your local leader signs these contracts, they understand that they are signing away your constitutional rights. They understand. Hmm. So, and these are the things that they never discuss. So it's, it goes without saying, I mean, you, you have to educate yourself about the, the bottom line of how your political uh, community and infrastructure is working. Got it. Because that's going to give you the first ability to counteract what's about to happen. Because that's what needs to happen right now. We actually have to disrupt the system mm -hmm. and, then amp and then highlight what's wrong with the system at the same time. So that's why when, you, when I'm saying you have that 24 to 72 hour window that's so crucial, that's because those families can put that the mayor who signed that contract or whoever signed that contract on notice saying that we're coming after you because we want to know what you signed. We want to know what was in your police union contract. Do, do you have POBAR? We want to know what's in that contract. Right. Because if you know from, from that very beginning what's in that contract, then your lawyer can't tell you that you might win. A question. Is all, is there a federal um, police bill of rights and are there local bill of rights or is just there one bill of rights and the, as you talked before, there was a um, interact, there was an overlay of how it meshes with current Bill of Rights for a county, let's say, or city or state. Mm -hmm. Is there um, individual interpretation? Because um, like you hear now where, um, you know, it, in one county or one state, you know, a certain force of action is no longer legal. Um, and because just in here in California, where both of us are based, um, one in Southern, one in Northern, but the uh, ability to have um, the, the high concentration of people, the ability to have the uh, uh, geographical area to get to the people for help um, can vary very, very um, uh, different between different parts of the United States. So is there a difference between them or is there just one set across? So the, the, the very first police bill of rights was created here in California and enacted by Jerry Brown in 1976. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, so womp womp with Jerry Brown. But uh, <laughs> All right, no politics. <laughs> We're talking, go ahead. So, but the thing is, is that he set a precedent with that enactment. And so- Wow, I had no idea. What that precedent, the precedent that he set was that if you put, if you enacted or if you decided to have a police bill of rights in your state, that you're essentially taking away the constitutional rights of your citizens and that your police officers actually have more rights than the citizens that they are supposed to be um, maintaining safety for. And, the, and that's, that's really the bottom line, that's what it is. And that's not what you hear people talk about when you're talking about the police bill of rights, really. You know, that's, that's the core. The core is that these things might have little variations. Like there's only 15 states that have a police bill of rights, like I mentioned, but it's not a constitutional document and there's nothing saying or stating that it can't be overturned. It can be. 
Well, there's the things that having that information because, you know, the states right now are very much being driven by their own desires based on the pandemic and everything that's going on. So you see a whole environment of I'm no longer going to be the cheerleader. I got to do what's best for me and best for my country and best for my, you know, my community. Uh, and if you're, if you're going to live in and shelter in place, work, um, and what infrastructure, it's so important that you, you know, if you think about real estate, you live in an area that supports your ideology, supports who you are and what you are um, mm -hmm. to make sure that you have access to quality of life. And this is really what this whole thing is, is that mm -hmm. um, making sure that everyone and making sure, especially obviously uh, the Black Bill of Rights, that as soon as the day they breathe air to the day they die, that the, uh, they understand how they can hopefully case by case and and then from the being at the seat at the table change it together right from all different angles so excellent so if we go on to rule number two be solution oriented confront your local leaders and pressure them to stand in full support of black lives talk to me about that yeah so um the the community who suffers from these deaths they have, they have a unique, um, I hate to call it opportunity, but it really is. It's an opportunity to, to hold your local leaders to task. Okay. And so again, you know, it's, it's educate yourself. That was rule one. So you're educating yourself about what your local government is doing behind the scenes. Do okay. they have a police bill of rights? If so, what does it say? your police union contract what's in the police union contract are there things in that contract that are specifically taking your rights away as citizens and i will say with a hundred percent yes that's why these documents exist right so then from there that's your next action that's the reason why you have to be solution oriented because it's it you have to pull yourself out of the emotion right of this that's moment so hard. oh my gosh and it's so yeah i mean that's why you do have to have someone who is representing the family, someone who can like take up the responsibility of, of moving in this space for the family. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is the most important thing right here because you can ask in that 17 right. hours, that family can say, where are these, where are the receipts? Right. Show me the receipts. What did you sign? We need to know so that we can move through this process more enlightened with more understanding of what's possible and what's not possible. Instead of going a year waiting for the outcome of, of some kind of suit, I can tell you how that suit's gonna pan out if we read the police bill of rights, if they have one or their police union contract. I don't, we don't have to even go down that road. That is a year's worth of taxpayers' money for no reason. Because if you know what's in that contract, there's no reason to even go down this road. You know that those protections are in place and that you going through this process of trying to, to bring justice, it's not gonna happen. This, the the, scenario, the um, correlation that you can bring to the financial institutions and, and, and the knowing the bank, what they allow and not versus a credit union, um, how the, the, their bill of rights and laws of, of whether the money's yours or theirs. Um, these are the things that 
again, amplifying, knowing what your rights are, understanding what the, the rights that are in place, because if it's already in place, you're going to have a wasted time, energy, and money. Now, even if you know that the Bill of Rights are there, um, and let's say from the police force or law enforcement officers, and you know that it's not on your side, the more you bring the awareness of this event happening, and you have someone who can help be that, I'm not going to say diary, but be that organizer of events. And the more you can connect and say, this is a pattern, this is why. It's like the old adage where um, they don't put a stoplight at a, a street corner until someone's died or multiple people have died. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea has to be that we have a way of, of collecting the data so you can say, no, 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 this is, this is not an isolated case. This has been happening to, you know, one is too much, but from an unemotional data collection, it'll help build the case. And that's why this is so powerful. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So if we go down to rule number three, believe in the realm of possibility and to the current list and create your own kind of leads into what I was talking about. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, as you just pointed out, this is not just about the judicial or the justice system, right? These things are happening in every single sector and every single system that we live in, right? So there, there are ways that, that undermine our citizenship that are built into the law mm -hmm. so that even though we should be receiving these laws, again, on paper, looks great, right? Yay, those things pass. But then when you, you know, if there's no oversight, there's no like, you know, real estate, right? Yeah. There's very, there's, there's like very little, uh, what is it? Um, uh, I'm gonna forget the term now. Uh, Follow through. No, it's uh, when you're, uh, um, it's kind of like oversight, but it's, there's a different yeah. term. Accountability. Too. Yeah, it, it's something like that, but it's like, oh, it's when, when you're like, uh, I, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I, That's it, okay. That's, this is a heavy subject. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, um, so you're, you're basically looking at how you can shift what's occurring. Mm. You're, 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 yeah, you're, you're basically what you're doing is the momentum, the drive, you're, you're changing you're the narrative. You're, yeah, you're disrupting the, the thought. And, you know, it's like when we, we talked before the, the podcast was why now? Captive audience, everything's burnt out. Netflix is gone. You know, you're like over your, you, you, there's no new sports, no, nothing going on to it. So you have the ability to, bring a new narrative, a new story, and a different way that's going to spark one more, 10,000 more, 100,000 more, a million more people to see the light and the vision on mm -hmm. why it's an issue and why um, it's so imperative that we all, no matter what side of the fence you're on, that you join together to make this difference because in no way, shape, or form, um, in 2020, let's be the year to make that difference, right? Because we have the curation of data. And if you analyze that 90% of the data is changing every year, that's it. for the entire globe, 
Yeah. And this is the time to take that data, curate it and say, okay, next year, 2021, we're going to be on the path to, to fixing it. We all know it can't happen overnight. It, it's sure. humanity. Yeah. But let's not let it happen to what happened to the Me Too movement or any of the other movements before us, no matter what the movement is, to say that we can check a box and go, it has been steadily going up the right way, like the coronavirus, uh, <laughs> going up the right way, that we're making a difference versus then being, um, okay, that's great, you brought the data, but eh, you know, I didn't get enough uh, um, reaction and, and communication and deliverables and accountability. And mm -hmm. I believe that enough industries, people, um, exposure of the, to the, to, like you said, the 72 hours pivotal, most important. It's like, you know, the difference of a heart attack, you're those few seconds of being able to change the direction of your heart or the pulsation of it is a difference of life and death. Absolutely. I believe the same that the difference of those moments can be the difference of whether you can help someone and, and, and prevent it in addition to help change that this isn't right and you've got to say and change the the narrative to where it sinks in and not just being whoo, it just glossed over well yeah because we're we're basically told across the board right that we should believe in justice right oh the word was deregulation that's got it, it. Yes. <laughs> um and so you know there are varying levels of justice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the for the citizens of this nation we've seen this we've seen yeah. that this is true right right so the reason why this is so uh devastating is because it, then it is compounded by implicit bias mm -hmm. and uh white supremacist oppressive systems that are the actual container of these things and so the container of white supremacy is dubious these these are the same people that basically made genocide okay to build this nation, right? They dehumanized an entire group of groups of people so that they can build this nation and then create their wealth on our backs. We've never received any type of, you know, no rectifying anything that's happened. And so that's the part of history that's so... Uh, uh, essential to this conversation and to this narrative is because people have got to understand the historic premise of, of what we're living in today. This is because they set a precedent. The lawmakers set a precedent that no matter what we have on paper, they can always just come right behind us and do something else without us even knowing. And it will literally take us 10 to 20 to 30 years for them to for us to understand collectively that this is what they've done right so that's that's the biggest part of of why i think this is so important because what the black bill of rights ended up becoming because it evolved of course over the two years of span like there was a you know those three basic things i think were the way that I could say right away that, you know, if we install these three things, if we do these three things that we can create safety for our, our black communities all over the nation, all across the nation. Critical, critical. Right. So, but that was part of the reason why it, it evolved to actually include other sectors. 
right? So it's really about now, how do we, how do we look at it for, in terms of like persistent injustices everywhere? So in places like healthcare, in places like housing, in places like education, right. like this is a conversation about how you could really create a system of reparations that doesn't require a check. You know, this is, if you have a hundred million dollars to give to your police department to basically militarize them. Right. Then you should have enough money to put a certain amount of your budget aside when there's a budget for the reparations of the black people in your area and what that can look like. And ultimately that's what the black bill of rights is. The black bill of rights is taking us out of the white supremacist container and putting us into the Black Bill of Rights container that offers justice for everyone. Because this isn't just about white and black. This is right. about the fact that there is a ruling class and then there's poor people. This is a class issue as well. I t totally agree in the class um, amplification. We believe that the economic footprint of the unbanked underutilized of the banking in the in the financial industry get some water here is so important that you compound that to um the amount of money and resources and time that's spent to that 72 hours that mm -hmm. correlation is so important because i believe they're integrated so heavily because when you don't have the rule book, you don't understand to the level of how the whole media or legislative or community works because of lack of, of, of space, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then especially if you're a single parent on top of that, you're dealing with possibly health issues and you don't have, you're dealing with cancer, you're dealing with you know, uh, um, other different health uh, impact that go with it. There's so much your mind can take. Right. We're seeing that during the pandemic that people are becoming mentally um, overloaded. And yeah. that can, this adds to this whole crisis, right? Absolutely. So incredible. So rule number three, believe in the realm of possibility and create your own list. We talked about that. Sorry, we're going back to rule number three again. So with that being said, we finalize that. We have rule number one, educate yourself. Rule number two, be solution oriented. And rule number three, believe in the realm of possibility. Um, I believe that, I believe, I believe, I believe, is, is that you can have a vision of owning a home not be subjective to redlining, which is the territorial of where you're, you're buying a home where you should charge higher interest rates or higher premiums for everything goes down to it. You're never going to, you're never going to be equal. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're going to have the right, the not, not the right, but you're going to have a same quality of, of police help in case of an emergency, something, you know, the fire department, whatever, between the different communities. Um, do you build the fire station here versus a not? You know, all those things. And that's why we're so involved in social impact and knowing what the community has of infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. As an organization. And 
you put these all into play, you're going to curate, you're only strong as your weakest link. And if that's the police not ha if having the too much um, opportunity to do as, 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 and have, um, you know, a different flavor, but then you have a judicial system that's amplifying that because they go hand in hand, like you say, conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Then you have the financial institutions that are playing into that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the community um, oversight that is, is being controlled by the funds and where they're going within corporations and who's doing what to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see what's going on in the ads and the biggest social media platforms and I'm pulling it. And once one starts, everyone does, but no one wants to be that first, you know, be in that first to say it's, it's not okay. And I believe that by having the black bill of rights is if you look at it to our listeners and to everyone who's going to follow us, you've got to look at it with an open mind and say, this is about education of understanding what's in play. Mm -hmm. And if you remove the word black and if you remove the word woman in like we do our principles and just read the facts and mm -hmm. then apply black and then apply women or apply whatever class economic class then you re then you have the opportunity of getting into the inner core of people to get them to go through the process so i love 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 your 72 hour of media i think that is such a huge powerful point well, and, and you know, I, I just like to interject, you know, with yeah, the 72 I, hours, that's like for the families. But I mean, in terms of um, moving through all of these different sectors, like I said, you know, like housing and real estate uh -huh. and, and healthcare, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be the 72 hours. It's more about the fact that it is, it's a, it's a group of things that you can do. You know what I mean? So it can, it can, for the families, it's it's crucial that they do something in that 72 hours but yeah. in terms of like if you were looking to see how you would be able to to um, shift these infrastructures from the white supremacist infrastructure to the black bill of rights infrastructure okay this is more about the fact that it's like okay we first need to come together as a community that's why i say to be open to the realm of possibility because i had a conversation with a very good friend of mine and she could not wrap her mind around the fact that this conversation that we were having about the Black Bill of Rights didn't have anything to do with the white supremacist structures that were already in play. Like I had to, I had to drag her to understand, like, because she kept going back to it. She kept looping back and I was like, stop. I was like, that's what this is all about. This is about disrupting, yeah. going back to that system be you know believing in a realm of possibility and then seeing what we can envision together as a community right. you know as a as a state as a country like this is this is where we are now we have to reimagine what it looks like for this to actually be a world that works or a nation that works for everyone we've never done that before we never took a step back to like right the wrongs that were done and we just kind of like covered them up and you know now people say oh you had a black president and we had yeah, I mean, 40 44 white presidents right. I'm like, so like you know let's all sing kumbaya because we had one one black president no well i love the fact that if we spell it out to the podcast 
we've got to look at this is that just because we did it that way before does not mean that's the right way we need to continue. So in everything in life, you're supposed to, and I love to use the analogy of my parents, is, is that our parents were, our, our parents were supposed to be better than our grandparents. We're supposed to be better than our parents and we're supposed to raise our children to be better than us. So the progression is, is that we as a society need to improve and get better. That's mm -hmm. not just from the fourth industrial revolution of technology. That's not from the access to money or just access to, you know, a way of, of getting flying around the world, which guess what? You don't get to do anymore uh, but <laughs> for the writing. But it's the way of, of saying that I need to be a better individual. I need to be a better human being because now I understand what happened 200 years ago or 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and if we as a society can and can open our minds and not say we've done it this way, I'm not going to change, mm -hmm. regardless of political power, regardless of left and right, we then as a whole win. And I believe the Black Bill of Rights will be succession and be successful because of it. And so I agree, the 72 hours is for the family. How long would you believe that would be the sweet spot for the curation of data? Are we looking at six months? Are we looking for a year? Are we just going to put it into a database? Have we talked about that to where you have this, this um, in closing, you have this database of, you say, organically being collected and, and, and information being uh, curated. Where would we want to send our information if we believe that we've seen something, we, we've been victimized, we know information that we want to contribute to your, your uh, uh, services? Well, I mean, um, the, the premise of the Black Bill of Rights, like I said, is, is to evolve it okay. into any sector that oppresses, right? So right. we know every sector, every system oppresses us, right? Because the, the, the premise, the container of white supremacy is meant to do that. And that's the reason why we're in the position that we're in, right? Because the people who are really like making the rules and, and you know, making sure that there's deregulation of oil, deregulation of real estate. So, you know, people are getting rich right so and then these people are getting rich and then they're also giving to campaigns so when we're looking at how we start to disrupt that process the disruption starts on a local level okay and because if we can make our local level our local community stronger and we hold our local leaders to task we have a better chance at actually being able to move through each of these sections, right? So I'll say, like I just mentioned, what are the main things that have to shift, right? Okay. So I would say personal financing, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Understanding how to save for your pensions, having access to personal wealth, being able to be set up so that you can create generational wealth for yourself, okay. real estate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one, healthcare and all the things that come with healthcare, right? Well, right. Then you have your justice system, judicial system. Uh, then you have, uh, let me see what else. This is, uh, what's, what's, a, what's a big one too? Education. Right. So oh, let's yeah. Right, okay. So, and, and then, you know, I, personal, personal um, 
uh, financial aspects. That also comes with entrepreneurship, right? So this is helping folks to build their own businesses, build their own wealth. So I'd say that there's like these, these are the big buckets. Right. But we have to start looking at it from the bucket. And then what happens within each of these buckets? Where do the injustices occur? You know, like go, let's, let's break down the face value and really start to see what happens in the housing, you know, in real right. estate. Absolutely. What's, yeah. what, what, you know, what is the, what's the stuff that's sideways there? And so these are, but, it, and it's, I, honestly, for me, it looks like a think tank. It looks like, it looks like a huge think tank where you have the best minds Right. With each bucket mm-hmm. come together and say, okay, where's the person who has the data for education? How many black kids are being able to graduate from high school? How many black kids were able to like get the appropriate education going from preschool to kindergarten from the first to the fifth grade? Like it's, it will take that amount of like fortitude and, and focus. Focus. <laughs> total focus no I I, I hear you and it's it's exuberating of going you you were on the same wavelength of saying you've got to break it down simple terms that it's the silos or the buckets we call it silos that if you bring it's it's a whole premise of editor B where we started the last five years you know is that you've got to quantify the expertise of each of those buckets into the local community, into the county, into the state, into the Fed, into the globe. Because every country has its own systemic racism issues. Every country has its own bill of rights on what they believe in, what they don't believe in. Um, you know, you look at something as simple as, as the pandemic of the uh, COVID is mm-hmm. whether I want to be traced, whether I want to wear a mask, whether I want to, how dare you tell me I can't leave my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add all the different layers on top of that um, and whether we're going to publicize something or not. We have to say, remove the noise. What's in this bucket or silo? Mm-hmm. Who's in charge of that community and that government and that yeah, you, evolution, you to, right? Yeah, you have to figure out who the players are, yeah. right? Like, like, in terms of because the hierarchy is 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 very clear to see, right? So you have those who are building the laws, people who are you know asking for your campaign dollars to be put into office places of office every night. But, it's okay. So then but then there's the rung below them, right. right? And the rung below them has just as much power as those people. And they're the ones who are actually, you know, going into the presidents here and saying, hey, can you deregulate that oil so we can make a bunch of, you know, some extra money over here? Right. Okay, sure, John. You know, so these are, so that you need to actually, a uh, perfect example is COVID, you know, because how COVID happened where everyone around the globe is trying to figure out how to, how to find the cure, mm-hmm. right? So you have the greatest minds from all around the world who know the data, they've, they've compiled the data. Now everyone's trying to figure out what, what we can do to rectify what we've come to understand. And it's the, it's the same premise that we have to do now in terms of reimagining and re-envisioning what this country, and, and I, I mean, I, 
I think big. I'm a big person. I solve big problems. So like I'm also looking at this from a global perspective because if we're able to be successful in creating a template. Absolutely. Then this is, and, and that's ultimately the goal, right? The goal is to, to create a substantial viable template for each siphon. Mm -hmm. And then you also make sure that you have part and parcel to all of that, leaders of color who are the best in the nation or wherever they are and really understanding what these pieces mean. You know, we have to work together where they, they've got to be in the room no, they they have to, well, they we'll, have call, to, we'll call it a call. We'll call it, a, you know, they're in the room uh, virtually now, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they have to, they have to be present. Like that's the whole, that's the whole part of this is that we've been shut out of, of governing ourselves. We've been shut out of being able to actually um, create safety and welfare for ourselves. So the first thing that has to happen right now is that we have to be in the room so that we understand how to make it happen across the board and make sure that it's to what we, the standard that is necessary for us to be safe. You know what, that's a perfect way to segment this is that the end game is to be safe, to build, to be successful and to embrace the the same fortitude of quality of life right yeah and if you think at rule four to close it out you said be ready for a fight <laughs> um and i'd like to add a couple uh things that you have regarding the how to sign up how to be part of the the things that you've done so uh take a few minutes to close it out to talk about uh be ready for a fight and what you've been doing with the Sacramento Bee, uh, the SAC Bee that just came out and your campaign to move this forward. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> that's okay. We're way past our time. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, ultimately what, what this is, is so uh, when I was finally ready to roll it out, uh, mm -hmm. I was working with the Sacramento Bee to publish an op-ed that I had created to, to bring some perspective to, and some context to what the Black Bill of Rights is, what it, what it can be. Um, and so out of that, we kind of had a lag on that, so then I created the petition. And so the petition is, has become important because of who the petition is geared towards. The petition is geared towards Kamala Harris. And so it, it was a strategic uh, thing to do because one, we know that she's on the short list to become VP. Okay. As much as I love Kamala, she, she is quite controversial within the black community. Um, a lot of black community members and leaders feel as though she hasn't done enough for black people. And uh, you know, being in, the, being in the rooms that I'm in, I have come to understand that black people don't really trust her, mm. you know, so there is a definite um, connection to tapping her as the person to get this petition because I think that she needs something to be able to sink her teeth into. Got it. She okay. needs something that's going to, to give, uh, you know, a, a, a light to black folks of this nation and say, you know what, I know that my past was, you know, problematic. There are things that we've done that's problematic. Everybody has, you know. If you're in politics, you've done something problematic. 
it just that's just what it is you know what i mean that's the sausage being made you know um but i think yeah but I, I think that you know she could benefit from actually having something to endorse that that could also potentially be in the hands of the president you know because that changes a lot of this this make and it makes things a lot more easier to kind of like steer but the best part about what I think about the Black Bill of Rights is that you can really do this on a local level. Strategically yeah. speaking, we can completely sidestep the federal government and really look to make these shifts and changes on a local level. So now we're really creating a, a, a strong uh, grassroots movement. You know, we're, we're, at the, we're at the precipice of being able to, you know, it's not just like all these different factions kind of fighting and you know, trying to get their bills passed in their towns. Right. This is about Black people understanding that this is not a conversation necessarily about just legislation and policy. This is about the fact that we have had nothing but bad actors who have not had our best interest in mind for 400 plus years, and they've never done anything to rectify it. And we've never been in a position to rectify it ourselves. And I think that now we are. I think that this is our moment in history to put white supremacy on notice. Mm -hmm. This is our time in our history where black people can finally see that we are worth it. We're worth being able to, to feel safety in our homes, that we shouldn't have to be afraid to, to walk outside or to take a jog or to wear a hoodie because that's what this takes. For, for We need allies to understand that every time we look at a Skittle bag, we think of Trayvon. Yeah. Every time we see someone who's selling, you know, selling cigarettes on the side of the road, and that's something that's so common in cities. These are the things that we think about. Running, we, every, every single thing, dancing while black, running while black, driving while black. Every time we step into a car, every time I step into a car, I am nervous because I never know if that's going to be the day where the police are going to follow me. Mm -hmm. And God forbid I forget to turn on my turning signal. But I don't do that actually anymore because you know what, ever since Sandra Bland, I make sure that for every single thing, I even do a turning signal when I go into my house. These are, this is how we live. Yeah, no, we, live, we live like scared animals and have to constantly be put into this position where we have to think about, we have to over analyze what we do right. in every instance because that could be the last time well the that the 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 amount of energy the amount of of given the certain the environment right now if you look at just the covid to be put in that place to where you have to go to the store and you know do you have the gloves on do you have hand signs do you have the gloves do you have this did that person walk in out with a glove and someone's not gonna let him in and 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 are you gonna expose yourself and then to think that you have to get into a car and not have the fear of um of turning the hand signals did you do everything 100 and did you overcompensate that you did it perfectly yet yeah. you hit, you hit someone at a bad moment because they're having a bad day because there's not a single person in the world that does not have a bad hour, bad minute or bad day that they wake up and they're just in a, not a good mood and yeah. you hit them in the wrong place. You have judges, you know, you have people that are the best intentions and they might smirk or say something or do something that 
they weren't thinking they just did it just because they they were not on guard and mm-hmm. yet you're telling me that every single second you, you your your four walls are your allowability to let your guard down but look at um brianna taylor she was in bed she in her own home sleep asleep sleep. yeah and oh yeah they, you know we're <laughs> You know, so, yeah, so I I get you loud and clear, and I am so thankful that um, we met, um, and the future is bright, and what we're doing, and and bringing this to the table, because I believe that even if not everyone believes that everything we discussed today, at least you got your heart and soul into the thought, the process, the integration of understanding. The more you know, the better you can educate and the better you can help train your children and the better you can help the people that you live with. Because if the old adage is, is that if, if there's a fire happening with your neighbor and you had a fight with your neighbor, you sure better help your neighbor because the bottom line is you don't want your house to burn down. Exactly. Like you said to the point is, is that, you know, it might be that the rules of three-fifths happen because the fact is, is that it wasn't to help the blacks, but it was to help the white to go with the black. Well, help your neighbor save their house from burning down. So I hear you loud and clear, and I think this is fantastic. So again, let's sum up. We have rule number one, educate yourself. Rule number two, be solution-oriented. Rule number three, believe in the realm of possibility. And rule four, be ready for a fight. So how do we get a hold of Jasper? How do we help you help with the Black Bill of Rights? Um, well, I mean, like I said, um, it's, it's out in the world right now. Um, we are currently in our second week of rollout. And, you know, so I'm doing a lot of, having a lot of these similar conversations with other people. So I think that that's, you know, that's the really important part because it's so conceptual that it is important to for people to really understand the concept and the and the and the premise of the concept the premise of the concept is that the systems in place are meant to keep to are meant to keep us oppressed mm. and that because of that we are scared and the fact is is that they know that we're scared and they want to keep us afraid because the white supremacist culture in and of itself never saw us as human to begin with. And, and I really want, I, I want, I want non-black individuals to under, really truly understand this because this is the, this is the point and it's, and it's hard to hear. It's hard yeah. to hear that you, you, you have to understand that policing was created to treat us like animals. That's, it was created so that it could take our freedom away. They were there to police us. And then they had the right to kill us because that's what, that was part of policing, part of policing and part of being white uh-huh. was the ability to police black lives. That's the reason why you see people in the park being like, you're not supposed to be selling that water because that, that's something that has always been in white culture white culture was based on the premise that we're not human and that you have the ability and the right to police us whenever you want and so that's that's part of the reason why the 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 actual item number three believe in the realm of possibility is so important because it's not just us having to to believe in it because in order for us to be able to reimagine this in a way 
that's like worth it and healthy and nurturing, we've, we have to be able to believe in the realm of possibility and we have to have our kids understand that they have to be able to think in the realm of possibility. That's so crucial because they have nothing to go on. Right. We, we don't have anything to go on. We don't know what that world looks like. The first time we ever saw kind of that world is in the Black Panther. Phenomenal. Yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing that that, that was, stuck with me. That was, that was a fantastic movie. I, I it, was, it was the way that you were, that they actually perceived Blackness and living uh, as a Black person without having the baggage of knowing that the people who are governing you have been governing you like you are an animal. And I, I, I want to make that really clear. So when you're, when you're gearing up for the fight, the fight comes down with to the education, standing up to your local leaders. And how you do that is you, you support the petition, sign the petition, post it, share it, donate to it so that it gets further reach. I mean, these are the things for, for that. Um, uh, it, it's, it's back to, I think, number one in everything we're doing right now to sum this all together is education, education, education. The more you mm -hmm. know, the more you can, you can pick and choose what you believe in and get it done. And I believe that as a society, we'll be better if we're all better educated. And that believes in, in all different elements. So I want to thank you. Thank you. Um, I know Jas uh, Jasper, you're on LinkedIn um, and the... Um, Activate autism uh, uh, um, uh, articulation is so fantastic. I know I got got to get together. They can uh, find us. They can find us at activismarticulated.com. Uh, there you go. There you Activ go. Activismarticulated.com. They want to reach us. They can reach us through there. Activismarticulated.com. Yes. That's a whole mouthful. Anyway, so thank you everyone for listening to us. I'm Desiree Patno, your host of Know the Rules of the Game. Again, that's nrw.com. We're here every Wednesday for 8 a.m. to uh, bring you another special. We're going to have Liz Tumulti, who's going to be used the former CBS president. And also we're going to have uh, future guests that are going to really dive deep because this is a value add of knowing the rules is that everything that um, uh, Jasper brought today, there's so much I did not know any of it. Um, and the more that we can help educate everyone in the housing ecosystem, anything touches land. So you talk about marine life, you talk about technology, you talk about the integration of uh, public policy from a local city, county, state, and federal level and global level. It is so powerful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate your time, Jasper. And uh, stay tuned for our next podcast and we'll go from there. So thank you again, Jasper. All right, you take care. Uh -huh, good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye.